Well, guys, good morning. It's good to be back again. We've missed uh, our last scheduled time, so I think it's been uh, four weeks since we've been together. Is that right? Uh, it, yeah. it feels like it. <laughs> yeah, and we've uh, yeah. uh, and, so and, and 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 readings just keep accumulating. Yeah, so so we we didn't make our normally scheduled recording, but we do keep our progress of reading going on. So we've got like a double load to look at today. But before we uh, get into it, let, let's just talk about yesterday. Yesterday was the Lord's Day. It's it's my favorite day, and I'm sure you all's as well. So, but what what are some interesting things that happened? What what uh, Tell us about small group after church, just whatever stood out to you guys. And uh, Marvin, we'll start with you and we'll go to you, Mike, and, and I'll, uh, I'll kind of comment at the end. Um, well, I had the privilege of going to two small groups yesterday. We went to uh, Stephen's group because it's been at least two months since we've been there through traveling, through, uh, other things that we do other than small groups. Um, I don't know. We've had any cancellations. I don't think we have, but in other words, the events have kind of shuffled to where we've kind of jumped over them, I think at least twice. So we wanted to go and be with them and we did and, and had a, and had a good, a good time. Uh, one thing both groups had in common, it was pizza day. So I got, <laughs> I got a variety and an abundance of pizza. So that's, that's always a good thing, but always a good that, thing. Yeah. And Stephen's group, uh, we had a really good discussion about, um, about the sermon and about uh, gifts and particularly, um, the ascending and descending and, the, and identifying the captivity, what's captive, who's being, and so forth all those elements of that and had a really good discussion of that. I thought uh, some really good questions were asked, some of which were asked at, uh, at the one last night uh, and others, but again, uh, and others were unique to it. Um, it's always interesting to see two groups operate like that. And just as people are different, groups are different and the group uh, the second group we went to last night we went to uh matt's group and of course matt's out of town with his family this weekend and uh, karen as she often does she volunteered me to facilitate when she found out that <laughs> dusty was not going to be there and again i went into it didn't have any idea van you were going to be there uh oh no but, no this is that was wonderful that was wonderful <laughs> yeah uh but again we went uh we went there and uh uh, just as vigorous, uh, discussion, uh, even in lie the fact that what two or three of the people missed the sermon because they were in children's church or some other activity. So even at that, I, I think that the questions were well asked, well placed. We had a good discussion. Uh, it, it helps actually to have the preacher uh, in the midst there. <laughs> Uh, to answer some of the questions about what, what did you mean about that and, and so forth. And so the best I could do like at, at one o'clock was to just say, okay, this is my, this is my understanding on the basis of the scriptures. And so it was, a, it was a good time of fellowship and very, I mean, it was one of these kind of things. And we've seen this occasionally with other groups as well, where you just like, uh, you know, you've been at a ball game and it's either the wave or one of the things I've seen is you actually throw up a beach ball and you just hit it on down. <laughs> it's a, it's the beach ball version of the wave where you just throw it up and it just kind of keeps getting batted around. And that's the one, that's what kind of reminded me last night of that is 
uh, one one thing led to another, and just some really good discussions, some really good insights, uh, and um, I appreciate it. And it was a good good end to the Lord's Day. I thought. Yeah, and what what's so great about that is, you know, I mean, with a lot of these viewpoints that are there. And, uh, and, and Mike, you even mentioned someone at your small group had a different viewpoint than even the ones I, I mentioned, but you know, th- there can be a charity that's there. I mean, we, yeah. you know, uh, you can hold to varieties here. You're still confessional. You're sitting, you know, nothing has right. knocked you out of that. Yeah. And, right. and even in, in quoting some of those views, we, we saw that there's some great men who would see things differently. Right. You know, you take yeah. a MacArthur who would be over here, a Lloyd Jones who would be over there. And so, yeah, so it's wonderful that we can, you know, have this iron sharpening iron. Right. So, and, yeah. and one aspect that briefly, Mike, for you, before you, you get to your group or your uh, uh, report of yesterday, um, one thing I found was common to both groups is an intensely practical question about how do we identify uh, gifts? And we had really good discussions last night and, and yeah. at one o'clock as well uh, about, um, about that in relationship really to, um, you know, the biblical list of gifts, uh, are we, are we hemmed into that or, or, uh, how do we do that? Uh, do I identify the gift? Does somebody else identify it and all that? So very practical things about from people who are already exercising actively, most of them are exercising actively their spiritual gifts. Uh, and I think that the, uh, final application van you made of that, I think pressed home very hard on those that are not as involved in terms of, well, why not? In terms, this is a, this is a throne gift of heaven. I mean, mm. this is what Christ won in his, in his victory on the cross. Uh, he won that for you, gave that to you. He didn't need it, <laughs> but he gave, he, he gave it to us out of the abundance of his riches and in, in, in heavenly places. And, uh, I think it made a real impression. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mike, how about it? How was your, uh, your time yesterday, whether you want to talk about, something during church Sunday school worship service uh we we had what did you think about our Sunday school teacher yesterday he he did kind of okay right I'll tie pipe in again I need mother borrow job that's just my opinion so for those of you who are listening you don't know Mike was our Sunday school teacher yesterday <laughs> well anyway um our the group uh our community group went well um the uh, it started it started off. I you know I got to bring we got to mention the food. The food was just excellent. Brian did a good job on making a, a, a fantastic pot of chili. It, uh, and a lot of people when they have chili they, they they don't really usually add beans, but he had beans with this, and it was uh, full of beans and meat. It was really good. Uh, and he even admitted he wanted to spice it up a little more, but uh, he was uh, kind of uh, held in check by uh, Shannon. So. <laughs> But anyway, it was good, and I probably ate too much, and that probably was the reason why I was kind of getting tired or sleepy to, it, it, and at some part during our discussion. So, anyway, yeah, we had a we had a uh, a, a nice uh, we had Ernesto uh, visit, and, and uh, he, he's uh, for those that don't know him, he's from Cuba, and he's here in the states. He's been in the states about seven seven years, approximately. And he goes back and visits his uh, parents. Uh, he tries to every two years. So in the seven years he's been in the states, he's been back to Cuba three times to I think yeah three times to visit. 
and he's working now trying to get his dad over here. But anyway, so he asked for prayers for uh, um, getting his dad over here into the States to help him. And, uh, um, and uh, it was interesting, the, like Marvin mentioned, we talked about the gifts, um, uh, the gifts that was, that was talked about that Van mentioned, and then the, the, um, it, the, uh, the, uh, the gifts according to the measure of Christ. And we got into those discussion and what those gifts were versus the gifts that are in the later section when you read down in the scripture about he gave it, he equipped the, uh, the apostles and the saints we got we got a little past what you covered in your your message van to to uh, in, into down into verse thirteen and fourteen until we attain unity of the faith and also to, to mature manhood. So he had a different slant and he 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 brought out and he he's well read. Ernesto is well read in in, in his study. I, I can say that just from what he shared that little bit. But uh, he he said that uh, that the. the the difference he had different viewpoint based on a different use of the of the original word for gifts and so he had a different slant and they got in, in we got into an interesting discussion and it was mostly between Ernesto and Dan uh, going you know sharing back and forth of different views of this and it's kind of some some of the uh, it touched some on some of the difference that you brought out van you said some some uh, 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 individuals see it differently. They have a different interpretation. And so we would bring this out and it really caused it, the, uh, us in the group. It really caused us to, 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 to reflect more and to dig into scripture of why we believe what we believe and, and being able to say, here's why we believe what we believe. And uh, it was, it was a good discussion. And uh, he was apologizing, and, and we said, uh, "You don't need to apologize. This is good. You're 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 causing us to to uh, to think and to dig into Scripture to 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 solidify why we believe what we believe." So I mean, right. it, was, it was a good discussion, and uh, and uh, it, I, we enjoyed having him uh, in our group, and we invited him back uh, next week. So I'm not sure if he's going to be here next week or not, but it, it was overall it was a good discussion, and he added to it by by you know bringing up how he saw it and challenging us in our interpretation. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's exactly why we do our community groups. I mean, we wanted it to, to be off of the pattern of the Puritans when the Puritans would do what they called conferencing that they would uh, come together on a Lord's day afternoon and they would confer, you know, they would talk about the sermon and they would talk about, and not just the application of the sermon, but also the meaning of the sermon, you know, the text. And so it's good to get these, these different aspects uh, there because, you know, the, the pastor does not have the corner market on the truth. I mean, every believer has the resident, uh, teacher, the Holy Spirit, you know, to lead them into all truth. So it's wonderful to, to be able to have these uh, discussions and to to be able to have in, in one room people who would see, you know, these things in different ways, some emphasizing one thing, some another. And that, that's usually what, what leads different people to different conclusions. But again, I mean, there are some things we just can't disagree on and, and be Christians, but there are other things that are way over to the other side where we can have a, a difference of a view, a difference of uh, conclusions that we come to and still yet, you know, it's, it's all pointing to Christ and it's still giving glory to Christ. And, and like, like I said earlier, you know, 
some of these great men, you know, they're, they're not seeing these things, you know, uh, completely in lockstep with one another, you know, MacArthur, one thing, and then Lloyd Jones, a difference. And then there's others that uh, I could have just, you know, had quote after quote after quote, but, but again, it was already too long as it was, but, uh, so yeah, I thought it was a good day and that's wonderful. I mean, that's what we want to see our small groups doing. And, uh, and I'll just comment, uh, Marvin basically summarized, even what happened on, on last night, you know, at the small groups where it's uh, it's Matt Fincher's small group, but like Marvin said, he was out of town. So we had it at David and Janice's house, a really good group that was there. Marvin led and Marvin as usual, just did a, a fantastic job. And uh, yeah, the discussion kept going on and on and on. And uh, kind of hard bringing in, wasn't it? <laughs> I know a mark of a good, but, leader, it, but again, said, you did, uh, yeah, in many cases, you didn't want to. Yeah. Yeah. But he, he reined it in and finally he said, okay, it looks like we've, uh, we're, we're about out of time now. So that's, well, that's we a were, yeah. good leader. Cause it could have kept going. I think even then, uh, we probably walked out of the door was it a quarter till nine or something like that. Or yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we, we did around, yeah, eight thirty, eight thirty-five, and yeah. you probably stayed a few minutes more. Mm-hmm. So it, it was good. It was good. Yeah. Wonderful. You, you so. had to wrangle Christian. We didn't have to wrangle Amanda. <laughs> so that, that always adds about 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing Christian got wrangled and he was waiting and then April was with the other ladies. So uh, that's, okay. That that, you know, too. you, you yeah. get that little window when they're ready to leave. And if you don't, if you right. don't get out the door, exactly. they, uh, the conversation kicks back up again. So exactly, uh, exactly. Oh, that's good. All right. Well guys, let's get into our discussion today. And, uh, and I love this because it's all about the word we have, uh, from chapters 19 all the way to 24, and so that right there just tells you we're just going to be able to sort of dip our toes into certain um, certain aspects of this. But um, it's all about the word. It's about uh, what Joel Beakey calls it, the properties uh, of the written word. And uh, uh, just some things we're going to look at today. We're going to look at the written word's necessity, its unity, its efficacy, it's inerrant veracity. That's what he calls it. And then we're also going to look at some objections to inerrancy. And then we're going to look at the scripture sufficiency. And then we're going to go into issues of, of revelation. And does God continue to give revelation today? What about the modern day charismatic movement? What about the modern day, uh, more known as the continuationist movement within like even reformed uh, churches, those reformed churches who would hold to the same doctrine that we would hold to. But when it comes to this aspect, they, they see that God is continuing to give uh, revelation uh, continuing to give prophecy. In other words, giving, gi- giving a certain word for a specific person for a specific event or situation they're facing in their life. So, so, so let's just try to touch on all of these things. And that's basically all we have time to do is just to touch on them, but let's just start out first of all, with, with the properties of the word and him talking about uh, the necessity of the word, the unity of the word and the efficacy of the word. And I just wanted to start out by just reading uh, a, a little bit of a paragraph he has here on 354 and then i'll throw it to you all uh we we don't have the time to really step through each and every chapter but maybe we can just discuss some of the high points some of the things that really stood out to you all or maybe some things you think need to be summarized so for people who are listening 
that it would be edifying to them. So I want to start out on 354 at the, at the bottom. He says this, he says, the historical particularity of Christ's saving work is a specific man who lived and died at a specific time and place contrasts sharply with the universal accessibility of general revelation. Christ's death and resurrection are applied to an individual only through faith in him. Therefore, the church must proclaim Christ and his work to the world, which was Paul's burden, for God is not just the God of the Jews, but of the Gentiles also. Salvation is bound up in the word of God, for whom he did predestinate, them he also called, whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. And God calls men through the gospel. And then following over to the next page, the last sentence of that first paragraph, he says, the point is clear. Without the gospel, especially the preaching of the gospel, no one will be saved. Paul concludes, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So what Beaky is trying to emphasize is, and we've talked about general revelation before, how all men are without excuse. All men see that there is a God. He is created. We have the outside testimony of the created world. We have the inside testimony of our own conscience that bears witness. So you can't get away from this testimony that there is a God and that you owe all that you are to him. And yet you've not done it. So you have fallen short of the glory of God. General revelation tells us that, but now Beaky is saying, but we have to have special revelation to tell us who Christ is. So let me just throw that out to you all. What um, comment on that? Well, it's uh, kind of, it's kind of what I uh, was going through with the uh, brothers from India last Thursday. Mm -hmm. uh, when we asked the question, why do we need the Bible? And I think this chapter for the necessity of special revelation, I think it, it does a, a marvelous, a marvelous job of answering that. Uh, we need the Bible because again, what knowledge we have of God through nature is corrupted. Uh, mm. We take everything we have and we make an idol out of it. We conform it to our image. We deny, we deny God and, and all this uh, from the very beginning, from the first promise to, to Adam and Eve in terms of, the proto-evangelion or the or, or the first announcement of the gospel all the way through god speaks specifically uh in covenant and also in continuation of his promises through developing and and as we're going to see through developing and enlarging progressive revelation one of the criticisms often leveled against the bible is well the new testament is different from joshua and the going into the land I mean, what Joshua did was genocide, according to the New Testament. Uh, again, I mean, uh, we need to understand the Bible on its on its own face. But yeah, I mean, I agree, and I think he does a marvelous job of saying basically that uh, we need the Bible uh, and special revelation because uh, because it's the very means, uh, as James and Peter say, uh, the very ground of the new birth. It's the seed of the new birth, uh, word and spirit. Uh, bring it about and without it there is no sure and saving way to know god apart from it okay good sir. mike you got anything to add no i well the th only thing i can add uh would be that uh as far as the the written word is that it, it it's that it's this chapter stressed the importance of the written word and mm. the power of the written word combined with the with the preaching of the word 
and that to me it just says uh, it, it reinforces uh, the, what we what we what we pretty much talk about or is implied every Sunday and Wednesday when we meet is the importance of the Bible and, and how we should not neglect uh, the Word of God in, in, in the Bible and that we should cherish it and we should thank God that we have preaching that we hear uh, when we gather for uh, corporate or worship or corporate fellowship. Uh, to me, that it just echoes that. Right, right. And, and I love how Beaky talked about uh, the, the need for the written word, because, you know, he brings out that for, for years and years and years, there, there was no written word, but you, you still had the transmission of the gospel. You had oral transmission and it was being passed down. You go all the way into, uh, the, the first century church and, you know, you do have the old Testament written down. So they have that as, as, as the word of God, but yet you don't have the new Testament. And so God is working miraculously through, through spiritual gifts, uh, those those sign gifts, uh, tongues, prophecy, interpretation, all those things, and he's giving his revelation so that when they come into quote unquote church on the Lord's day, you know they're having the word of God and they're and they're being built up by the word of God, but they don't have the word of God like we do. We have it, you know, usually in between two leather covers, and yeah. uh, and and we read that, and that is the apostles' doctrine, and we're built up and we're edified through that. Well, at that time they didn't have that, or that was in progress. You know, Paul's writing his letters. You know, Peter's writing his letters. The Gospels are are written, and so and those things are. Are, are being written. And then even after that, they are, are being used as, as a canon, as a, as a standard, as a, as a collection of books that the church is using. And then later really formally recognized as, as that. And so uh, the importance of it being written down, like Biki says, it, it, it preserves it because if, if, if it wasn't written down and those original apostles and prophets, you know, they go off the scene well, then now we're just relying on human transmission yeah. from one generation to the next, to the next. And even with writing, we, uh, uh, the, 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 the writing, uh, the, the copying, the scribes, you know, that's not an inspired endeavor. So there are, uh, there are mistakes here and there with even those, and that's written down. How many more would we have if it was just simply oral tradition coming all the way down through through time and through generations? But now I need to say that quick, even though copyists did make errors here and there, because there's a multitude of copies, we can collate all those copies. And there's so many, so many of them that are extant that that we found that we can basically take all those together and we can I don't know if I, the word reconstruct is the best word to use, but, but, but we can, from all of them, pretty much get the word of God. I mean, well, if I, textual. Oh, go ahead, Marvin. Uh, it's textual criticism is what it is. It's a valid yeah. way of doing that. And, and I want to add on to what you just said. I think the fact that rather than being a weakness, I think the fact that there are so many extant manuscripts, partial manuscripts and so forth does show, the uh, does show the early church's commitment to a written scripture. Mm -hmm. uh, if it were a matter of just passing the tradition down orally, like one tribe does to another, then we wouldn't see that phenomenon. Uh, we uh, we would just simply we would just simply have it in almost and not to pick on some of the later chapters on continuationism, but uh, almost in a manner like that. 
where somebody arrives from the congregation, gives a word from God, and we don't basically all we have are just traditions that are passed down to us. So I think it's a strength. Right, right. Well, let me ask you this. He, he gets to talking about the word and the spirit. Okay, if we've got the written word of God, the perfect revelation of God, and we have God revealed in creation. So we have God revealed in creation generally, and then we have God revealed in his word specifically and specially. And we have all this truth. Why do we need the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? How does the Holy Spirit make the Word of God efficacious to us? Well, the the Spirit enlightens us. I mean, it enlightens us to the truth. I mean, it, it brings to this the Spirit that dwells us helps us uh, as we read the Bible. Uh, it it reveals more of. Uh, not new revelation, but re- reveals more or, or maybe a different perspective than what we've had before as we mature in our in our, in our, our walk with the Lord. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, the, the Holy Spirit is, is, is crucial in that because the Holy Spirit was with the original, original writers wow. when they captured all this as well. Mm-hmm. So the Spirit is very important and, and, and needed in, in, our, in our understanding and growth. Yeah, it's and spiritual think- food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I think in terms of authorial authorial intent, which again is a sound principle in hermeneutics, uh, we again go back to to the scriptures and we see God by the superintendent by well by inspiration of the Holy Spirit actually speaking through each of those and with inferent with uh, inerrant uh, veracity. I like that, I, and I like mm-hmm. the fact as we get to that that he puts those two together. Uh, but but I think, again, it's a matter and it's a point we make often in terms of the Holy Spirit, even though he uses a human author, is actually is actually the author of Scripture. And so then, therefore, um, uh, he would be he would be uh, in terms of explaining it to us. He would be the one that would guide us in the truth in that uh, it, using the using the word and the voice of, of the of the writer. Uh, he can uh, he can not only teach us but he can also keep it keep us within the parameters of of what of what he said and and what he meant by that uh, it, in other words not only is he inspired but he is also the guardian and protector of that uh, as the word is properly understood through the spirit you know amen amen well uh you touched on inerrant veracity and that goes into the next chapter and and mike i'd like for for you if you would to define that but before we go into the next chapter i just want to read some practical things that that beaky has here on page 368 uh it's under the heading practical implications of the bible's efficacy by the spirit i think these are very important he says this he says Pray for illumination when you hear and read the word. There's so much that God can do in you and for you through his word, but you are utterly dependent on the Holy Spirit to make it happen. Pray before you open the Bible in personal or family devotions. Pray before you arrive at church. Ask the Lord to open your eyes to his glory in the word. And I just want to encourage all of us and and our entire church family 
uh, I know Sunday mornings can sometimes be hustle and bustle. Uh, I've had two girls and I've got one boy now in the, in the house. And I know how those Sunday mornings can be, but if you can carve out some time, some, some true quiet time to where you can just settle your heart and just pray, knowing that Lord, I'm going to, to worship. I'm going to be with the saints today. It's the Lord's day and I'm going to hear your word. I'm going to hear truth. So Lord, by your Holy spirit, make that truth efficacious to my heart, convict me of sin where, uh, where I might be walking in a way that's going off the path of truth, uh, affirm in my heart that I am following you where, where when I hear truth, my life is corresponding to that and lining up to that and, and, and just help me to be built upon the truth. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to know, uh, true truth. As I listen to your word, help me to know the true meaning of the text as, as it's being preached. Uh, all of these things, I think that's very important. I think sometimes we just, uh, go to church and before you know it, we've popped in and we're there and, uh, and we're talking to people and we're busy, which all of that is very good. But, but I think it's just a priority that we have to have to know that, you know, it's not just me sitting in there listening to truth, whether that's in a Sunday school class or, or in the worship service, it is really God, the Holy spirit working through that truth, that truth being a means for him to do something in my life that apart from the Holy spirit, it can never be done in my life. And then I just want to read one more thing. The last paragraph he has here on the same page, he says, which this is very needful, especially for me. He says, pray too for the preacher's empowerment. He needs you to pray him full of the spirit, as it were. I love that. So that he may preach you full of the word. Wow. That sounds like what a Puritan would say, right? He needs you to preach him full of the spirit so that he will preach you. He needs you to pray him full of the spirit so that he will preach you full of the word. Pray that the preacher would have boldness, that the word of God would run freely and be honored, and that it would go forth not just in words, but in spirit, work, power, and persuasion. While you are on the road going to the meeting, intercede for the efficacy of the preached word. When you are on your knees, remember pastors, teachers, and missionaries, that the knowledge of the Lord would cover the earth as the waters fill the sea. And when you have tasted from the word that the Lord is good, Give thanks to the Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. I mean, what can you say to that except yeah. amen? I mean, that is yeah. just so rich right there. I, I love it. And it is so needful. All right, Mike. Well, let's cross the bridge over here to the next chapter and tell us about inerrant veracity. Those are those are two interesting words that he sort of couples up together. What does that mean, inerrant veracity? Okay, well, uh, let's see. The, the Inerrant is simply means without error, as he says in, in his narrative, and veracity means truthfulness. So, uh, th therefore, what we see in the Bible or read in the Bible, we can say that it it, it is the it is tr it is truthful, uh, uh, and it does not declare anything contrary to what is true. I mean, it, it is truthful; it doesn't contradict. And uh, and then you know, one thing that he went through is you know after saying that. He said, "Okay, here's what we're not saying to to help solidify what he the inerrant uh, veracity of, of of the of scripture." And uh, so I kind of like that. I mean, he he laid out. I think it was like uh, six or seven uh, 
uh, thoughts about what we're not saying by when we say uh, inerrant veracity. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it kind of went some of the things that you and Marvin already touched on, but uh, the the Bible, he, he, we're not saying that the Bible was written by perfect people. Mm-hmm. No, it wasn't, but it was written by imper- uh, imperfect people, but with the Holy Spirit as their, their guide. It was the Holy Spirit uh, uh, leading them in, in, in the writing of the truth. Mm-hmm. So again, not perfect people, but, the, but they were inspired by the Holy Spirit in their writing. So it, 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 they're writing God's truth. They're, they're, they're uh, God's instrument for his truth. Right. And, and then if I, if, I, if I can, I'll go on and co- summarize the others. Uh, sure. It, it's not uh, written in perfect grammar. Um, and we, we can see that even when we speak and we read uh, in our in our literature today, we see grammatical errors. I mean, uh, and so, uh, again, the grammatical errors don't take away from the truthfulness of what what was written by the by the uh, writers of the, uh, the Bible, because they were writing uh, with the divine uh, leading of the Holy, Holy Spirit. Uh, and then you touched on this. That there are different manuscripts out there, um, and they differ on some some points. But it, when you bring them all together, I mean, it's they're they're really it's uh, we 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 can solidify and say yeah, this is God's truth. This is what this is the truth that was written. There, there's not really they're not contradicting one another. Um, and so, uh, and then the fourth one uh, was the um, the Bible speaks of the same precision and. Oh, oh yeah, the, the the use of the terminology, precision terminology used in scientific writing. Here, um, uh, I mean, it, it's good to study science and stuff, but the the Bible is not a science textbook, and mm-hmm. the 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 Bible is not to to validate science. Um, it's the Bible is God's truth. It, it's 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 truthfulness. It's without error, and. Uh, so it, it's written not for scientists, but it's written for ordinary people. And that's the thing to remember that God's word is not written for scientists or technicians. It's written for the common individual. I mean, that's, we see how, you know, even Jesus, when he was teaching and uh, uh, he was using common examples of the, of, of the time, like uh, the, uh, the uh, uh, going out in the fields and harvesting. I mean, he, he used things that people would understand to send his message. Um, and they, um, again, they speak, uh, they speak from an ordinary point of view. Um, do not, so, I mean, speaking from an ordinary point of view doesn't take away from the, whole, the, the, uh, the truthfulness of what speaks, spoken or recognized. Uh, I think in there, he says, the Holy, the Holy Bible can never speak untruth wherever its true meaning is understood. Recognizing that God gave his word in a manner designed to accommodate them to the capacities of the common people. I mean, uh, it's uh, that's the beauty of God's word. I mean, it's it's written for the uh, common individual that we can speak up, and as we are, as we grow in our maturity and our walk uh, with the Holy Spirit indwelling us, more and more God's truth is revealed to us. Nothing new is there's nothing new that's revealed. It's 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 um, so that gets into our other uh, chapters. But anyway. I'll leave it at that. And uh, then the, the errant veracity does not contradict the Bible's figures of speech. Um, we're not saying that. Um, and he gives an example of symbols, you know, the, the arm of God, the hand of God. And it doesn't indicate the, 
the, he has a physical body, but they're just, mm-hmm. they're, they're uh, symbols of his power and precision. And then the veracity uh, does not require us to ignore difficulties interpreting the Bible. I mean, again, we see that in our community groups. People look at things different ways with how they read. And, uh, uh, and I guess this, what does he say regarding this? Um, we just need to set harmonizing the history of theology on one part of the Bible with another or showing consistent between Bible or history. There are difficulties in this. Men will disagree. Uh, uh, and we need to be careful because he said our, our understanding is limited and confused and sometimes confused, which is true whether we are scientists, historians, or the, theologians. If such difficulties require us to stop trusting the Bible, then we should also have to throw out all human knowledge. So it's a, I guess it's a warning to be careful of the, of, of, of the difficulties in interpreting the Bible and harmonizing with history or theology. And I guess the way I would read that, and you can correct me if I, if I mis- misstate, but I think it goes back that the, the, we go back to the word of God. The Bible is the truth of God. It's without error. It's truthful. We can rely on it and depend upon it for, for truth and leading in our lives. That's the way I read that, that argument. Um, and and uh, the, the, I guess with inerrant veracity, the, everything in the Bible is true. We, we can trust on that. We, we can trust that it's ritual man, manuscripts to, uh, declared it's true, God's truth. And the translations of the Bible we have today contains the truths without error. And, uh, and then do we, just, we should always rely on God's word in the Bible for, for truth and leading in our lives. Uh, it's, it's, it's more, it's the, it's what we should use as our guide or compass. And I, I guess I've talked enough. <laughs> I don't know if I covered every point that he highlighted in there or did it in a way that's, uh, that, that clearly communicates, but, uh, that's my, uh, I, I enjoyed reading this part on, on the veracity, uh, mm-hmm. it, to my life, the, 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 again, the importance of the Bible, don't, you know, daily get in your bible don't let it collect dust the bible is there for for feeding and nourishment of our of our spiritual lives and guiding us and and how we walk right right i think i think those points you raised were very important because we do need to understand i mean the bible is communicating a, a message and it's not you know a scientific textbook it's not any of these other sort of ancillary type things but but when it does speak to these different things, I mean, it does speak truthfully, but uh, again, to, to hold it to, well, well, for instance, if, if you were to, you and Kathleen were to go to Virginia beach and then, you know, the next day in church, uh, you were to say, well, we were there in the evening and I want to tell you, uh, uh, it was such a beautiful sunset that we saw last night. And I would say, Mike, you, you can't be truthful about that. That can't be true. And you say, why? And I say, because you've got error in your statement. The, the We rotate around the sun. The sun doesn't move. The sun doesn't rise. The sun doesn't set. So you're, 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 you're an error there. So because you're an error about what you said about the sun, I can't trust what you said about its beauty, that it was beautiful. And so you cast it out and, and, and it's the same thing with the word of God. It's not, it's not pushing things to that limit, like saying it's a scientific textbook. And I love the example he has here in first Kings chapter seven, he talks about a, um, 
a metal basin that is outside of the temple. And it says its circumference was 30 cubits, but he says someone could come up and say, well, no, that's wrong. That's an error. A true circumference would be, and I'll read the number here is 31.415926535 cubits. And so there you go right there. You know, the Bible's yeah. an error. The Bible is untruthful. The Bible is not the perfect inerrant word of God. Well, no, it's, it's, it's not talking about that. I mean, we do things like that all the time. We give generalizations all the time and it doesn't mean that the thing that we're trying to communicate is false. I mean, it is true, but we're not getting down to the exact, you know, nth degree of, of the truthfulness of a measurement. You know, a lot of times we round off, you know, how many guys, you know, went to war, 50,000 guys went to war. Uh, the concert that was down in Virginia beach the other night, how many people were there? 3000. Well, was it really 3000 down Listen, to the yeah. last person? Was it 2,999 plus one exactly? No, you know, it's probably above or beyond, but we don't take away from the truth of, okay, there was about 3000 people there. Yeah. And so it's the same thing with the word of God. We have to understand it for what it is and uh, what the Lord meant for it to do, which is to communicate uh, who he is and how we can have peace with a God who is holy, holy, holy. Yeah. Now, Marvin, I'll ask you to, to come in on that. And, uh, and also uh, I wanted to ask you too, um, because you lived in this world, when you went to seminary at Southeastern, mm -hmm. you lived in the world where there was a contention against the truthfulness and the inerrancy and the infallibility of the word of God. So, so what do you have to say about that? Maybe from your experience, maybe some of the things Joe Beakey touches on, but uh, how would you comment on that brother? Well, I, I, you're right. I mean, that was a, a hot topic uh, back then. Um, and, and I would draw attention uh, and he does, I think briefly to the international council on biblical inerrancy. Uh, many of the men whom we know and love were actually a part of that. R.C. Spruill, uh, James Montgomery Boyce, uh, Russ Bush, uh, men of, of that caliber uh, were involved in this to the point where it was, it's always been the case that the world in terms of trying to foist a a a form or form of truth upon the scriptures many of which you guys have, have stated uh have forced on it a rigid uh, a, a rigidness that it, it itself cannot bear uh for instance to uh to use science as the ultimate arbiter of interpretation is something that is something that historically has not been done for instance we mentioned uh Copernican view uh, of the world as uh, being a, a sphere or, or being uh, of being flat. Uh, phenomenologically speaking, the four corners of the earth, sunrise, sunset. Uh, it's interesting that when Galileo uh, revised Copernicus's view of that, he did so in terms of the veracity of the Bible, in terms of God's word. He says that these are, these are subsidiary matters of observation. This does not. This does not go to the truth of the Bible. Indeed, what it is, it's a it's a way of us to understand, even though our framework may change, uh, to understand. Indeed, that that is a figurative uh, or uh, uh, or a symbolic uh, use of language, um, and that 
science has nothing to say about that. Science itself has also go, gone. Uh, a wonderful job by uh, Thomas, a uh, book by Thomas Kuhn uh, on scientific paragra- uh, paradigms. And he does this so well in terms of science establishing itself as an authority. It, by definition, uh, is constantly in a, in a state of revision, or it should be, in order to be an effective means of knowledge. Um, and we go through we go through paradigms, like, for instance, the Copernican shift to, uh, or the Galilean shift to the view of the world. And as such, it is, um, as the old timers said, it is the handmaiden of scripture. It is meant to interpret and explain the things that we know, uh, not to contradict uh, scripture in that sense. Uh, uh, But the International Council on Biblical Inerrancy was concerned because even though those objections historically had been in place, what was happening is that there were many in the evangelical church, particularly at Fuller Seminary um, with Rogers and McKim. Um, and I think in our last reading, we dealt with Rogers and McKim, mm-hmm. uh, but they wrote a book in, in which they said, first of all, that many of the things that he states as objections to inerrancy in the next chapter, he says, this is not anything that this is not anything that's been a major that's been a major emphasis of the church in the past. Uh, sure, they've, they've talked about they've talked about the uh, infallibility of the Bible, but only in terms of the outcomes it produces. Uh, in terms of the actual text itself, it's not anything. Uh, John Woodbridge, uh, I remember when he came out with this book as basically a critique of Rogers and McKim. I remember the day uh, that Russ Bush stood up in class and said, if I, if I were Rogers and McKim, I said, I, I would, uh, I would, I would go to a remote Island and not leave a farting address. He said, this guy scorched his head, <laughs> scorched their head. <laughs> and he did, he, he did, he did, uh, basically to show, uh, to show that that's not an understanding. Even in Baptist life, we find this in the work of, uh, uh, Nettles and Bush. Uh, mm-hmm. in terms of Baptist in the Bible, that was, a, that was the, this was exactly the kind of stuff that International Council of Biblical Narratives was trying to get at is because there were many that were saying among Baptists that this is not a Baptist position, that it's a, that it's a position from old Princeton, that it's a scholastic approach. Warfield actually imposes a standard there that the Bible never imposes on itself. Uh, in terms of in terms of the infallible in terms of the inerrancy of the text and the veracity of the text, the two of those that's why I say are very importantly joined together. Uh, and again, uh, they did a masterful job of demonstrating uh, through Baptist history and Baptist theology that that indeed is not the case at all. Um, and again, uh, they were rewarded for it by losing their uh, applying for tenure and losing their their tenure. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, again, it just shows you how deep and how deeply rooted these things are. So in terms of just the loss of the, of inerrancy, not as a philosophical concept, but as Mike and you so rightly pointed, uh, as the anchoring point for, uh, for the, for the, uh, for the text without error and true in what it affirms and, and not opposed uh, and I think it's a great way to put it, not opposed to what is true, I think is the way Beaky puts it. Uh, to put it like that, indeed, is to rescue it for the purpose of the church. One of the things I love is always the practically what does this mean? 
uh, you know, uh, right before he gets ready to do his doxology. And again, mm -hmm. I mean, uh, that's an important point as well is because um, practically it does have, it does have an effect on the church. Uh, yeah. We're still, I, I mean, we're still, we're still fighting the battle for inerrancy. Uh, and Van, you would agree with me. Uh, we thought we had settled that, but then inerrancy really, in some ways, wouldn't you agree is like an umbrella for the other properties that he says here? Yeah. Uh, because inerrancy is actually the fact that God, if we believe that God is the author of this through the Holy Spirit and God does not speak error or falsehood, if we take that view, then uh, uh, then we have to affirm the fact that God cannot speak in error, even though he uses human authors. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and also within the properties that he mentions here, I think our current struggle with this is people that will say, yeah, 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 the Bible is inerrant, but it's not sufficient. In other words, it's, it's true in what it affirms, but it did not see our day. And so what they will do is to seminarians these days will go and they will look at biblical texts on justice and they'll say, yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a, that's a gospel issue yeah. uh, as if that settles it. Uh, no, there's a real need. And I think that's one of the reasons why uh, there's a real need to continue that discussion. And I think that that's why, for instance, Founders Ministries has uh, continued. And this is, I think, a continuum on their ministry uh, is a fact that they were calling Southern Baptists back to their historical roots, which would involve complete trust in the text of the Bible and its faithfulness and, and trustworthiness for us. Uh, but then the, the issue has shifted now to, to sufficiency. Uh, inerrancy, I think, is, is just an umbrella for a lot of these other properties here. Uh, if, uh, and, and I think ultimately, Beaky, I think, suggest that as well by saying every one of these chapters has this in common uh it is god the bible is god speaking and also importantly that that the bible is centered on christ mm -hmm. which again is going to be fundamentally key to the last chapters in which he talks about uh, continue, uh, cont uh, the continuation of uh sign gifts in, in the modern age uh, that whole idea of sufficiency and inerrancy, I think, again, are just the things that kind of propel us into that and, and talk about why it is that, uh, that what, seem, what should seem obvious to us all is not something uh, that uh, once we state, once we give lip to it, service to it, it really does not affect the way we live and think, and it should. And I think that's why it's important. And again, as you say, back in the 70s and 80s and 90s, uh, we were battling this out. And again, uh, it is a, uh, even though we take pride as Southern Baptists, yeah, as we were Southern Baptists at the time, uh, that we're the only denomination that has ever uh, righted the ship from a, from a, uh, from a course towards the shoals to the rocks uh, out back to sea again. Uh, and what it demonstrates to us is what Beaky says here is that the uh, trust in the trust in the, the absolute trust in the Bible and the text and, and in all that God has said is something. And I love this at the end of every chapter. Again, he says, this is something that has to be practiced and maintained. Yeah. If it becomes an academic effort, particularly among 
seminary students or Bible students, then that again is the seedbed from which these kind of things go again. And I think that's happening in our seminaries now. So mm. that's a very important point, I think. Yeah. 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 So, uh, so, so Mike, I, I want to ask you, uh, and we'll just briefly touch on this, but, uh, Marvin brought it up, but, uh, but here in a second, would you, would you just define for us briefly what sufficiency is? Cause that takes us into the next chapter, but as you're thinking on that, uh, just to follow up with you, Marvin, kind of going back to you talking about Copernicus and everything, uh, we, we do see that the Bible is not a, a scientific textbook, but oftentimes uh, the Bible will say one thing and science will say another, and there will be these scientific revolutions that happen yeah. in the scientific world, and you come to match up what scripture right. says, right? Right. So, which leads me to the question. So when the Bible says that uh, the earth is a circle, not a sphere, but a right. circle. Right. Uh, so when, when science catches up with that, are we going to discover we really are living on a flat earth? That that is <laughs> that that is the only explanation why New Zealanders and Aussies down under do not have their blood flowing to their heads. Uh, you know what? <laughs> the the fact is uh, the fact is that uh, again, it's like it's like every other paradigm shift in terms of we weigh it ultimately against, uh, against the scriptures and against the, uh, either the direct statements of scriptures, the good and necessary inferences from it. But yeah, I mean, if we were to come back around to a flat earth, yeah, so be it. Uh, I mean, you and I have talked about, have talked about this before. Uh, there are some guys that wax pretty eloquent on that. Uh, and, and almost, uh, as, as uh as was said to paul thou almost has persuaded me <laughs> uh, but no but but, but again i mean uh, there there are there are some issues there i think is another matter and again i don't want to go too much into this uh than some of the things we've been talking about in terms of uh uh the supernatural and in terms of really the nearness of the supernatural to the natural in terms of when Paul talks about principalities and powers, we take that as a figure of speech that there are all kinds of invisible things going on around us. And indeed there are, if we knew it, we'd be astonished. Mm -hmm. But again, the earth is such, and we see this through the theophanies and other things, the earth is such to where the supernaturally regularly impinges on the natural, uh, either in a way of help as, as in the old Testament or in other ways as well, and sometimes for very bad and, and uh, evil and demonic reasons uh, mm -hmm. uh, oppressed in that. I think science is showing us uh, to, I think Einstein in particular, and uh, what's his name, my guy, uh, I've got the book behind me, but I turned my back and y'all have to see uh, that I'm not fully dressed. I have sweatpants on in addition to this fine, <laughs> this fine upper shirt I have here. But, uh, but anyway, I'd go, I'll think of this. Uh, uh, I'll think of his, uh, I'll think of his, of his name here in a minute, but, but he, the name but of he, the book, uh, Einstein was right or something like that. Uh, -huh. uh in, in which he talks about Einstein's insights into the matter of, into the matter of time. We thought of time in terms of a linear type of thing. Uh, and when we talk about, okay, that, that, uh, that star's light is now getting to us, uh, uh, it's, uh, 8 million light years away. Well, we think of that in linear terms, like, okay, 8 million of our years, which again, by necessity makes the earth really, really old. 
Okay. Uh, apart from that, uh, what what he what he says, oh boy, the name's almost coming to me. Uh, <laughs> that bothers me. I know it bothers you guys too. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, but he says in terms of that that um, that what we find if you if you look at gravity uh, in the way uh, and the way it affects perception, time, and so forth, you find that time actually bends. Uh, and so this linear view that we have may very well mean that some of the things we see as distant really are well within the range of our of our measurements of our time. In other words, our time is not capable really of measuring those properly. So when the Bible talks about these things, uh, an old earth and, and things like this and you know, all the things we talk about there, I think science is catching up with that. So we talk about a paradigm shift. Again, this is like the, Coper uh, the uh, Copernicus and Galileo. I mean, this is another place where science may indeed be, uh, be turning us around to uh, what we've affirmed all along is that um, uh, is that the is that the earth is created? It's it's a part of the heavens and the earth. God rules the heavens and the earth, and He has a very active part in the heavens and the earth, which means that there are supernatural elements of that. When uh, by necessity, whenever God whenever God intervenes into human history, it's a, it's a supernatural event, even though He created it. In terms of entering into us, it's always a supernatural in the sense that natural is understood as accommodating to our ways of measuring and seeing and, and so forth, our, our ways of talking about, as you guys are so well stated in terms of the sun rising and setting and so forth. Uh, it's accommodated to that. Um, again, I think science has begun to service uh, in the fact that uh, maybe that's not just a, a figurative way of saying it. Maybe there's something to that. So it's interesting. 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 Yeah. Yeah, y'all got to know the background on this. Marvin and I have these what if conversations all the yeah. time. Yeah. So, so when science catches up to the Bible, what are we? We're gonna have flat Earth wormholes. The, yeah. the whole nine yards. <laughs> well, I know about the flat Earth wormholes now. I'm go, I'm gonna put a bookmark in that one. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Our, port, our portals. Yeah. Uh, yeah portals putting, yeah. yeah if we only had the time to study all the millions of theories people have yeah. out there who knows but uh anyway, I, I mean some... you got yeah you've uh you got me hooked on blurry creatures dude <laughs> okay <laughs> all right so mike let's Moving uh, on. Let, let, reel us back in mike so okay. let's talk about sufficiency for a second uh and then so if you'll define it for us i want to just read a little bit of what beaky says on it and then very quickly i want us to go on into continuationism because i think that that is a a hot issue for us today to to deal with does god still speak today outside of his word so but before we do that mike what when we talk about the sufficiency of scripture what are we saying when we say that god's word is sufficient okay well first i like the way he started the sufficient he, he refers to these properties of the written word and i like the way that he calls them precious properties but the sufficiency of scripture this lasting discussion because it, it it depends upon all the other properties, so it it builds it's it builds upon those. And 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 briefly, the uh, sufficiency of scriptures. Uh, what that means is that uh, that scripture contains everything necessary for saving faith and spiritual life. It, it's taught in the Bible, so it, 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 the, everything in the Bible is all I need. And it's mm -hmm. for like the church. 
it's all the church needs for its teaching and, and, and edification of the body. And the church doesn't need to add anything to it or take anything away from it. God's word is sufficient uh, for the teaching of, of his truth and for the edification uh, of, of uh, the body. So that's briefly uh, sufficiency. I mean, it, it's, it's sufficient. It contains the truth, yeah. all that is necessary. Nothing right. else. Absolutely. Do not, away, do not add to Amen, brother. Amen. Amen. And just to add to that real quick, what Beaky says on page uh, 396, and I kind of want to read a, a long uh, excerpt about this on this, almost a whole page real quick, because I, I think he does a masterful job here. But he says this, he says, we have placed the sufficiency of the Holy Scriptures last in our treatment of their properties, because in a sense, it depends upon the others. For example, if the Bible did not have supreme divine authority, then we would need some greater authority to establish certainty in our religious beliefs and practices or live in desperate skepticism. If the scriptures lacked clarity in their teaching of major doctrines, then the church would need to add some other documents or living teachers as authoritative guides to its interpretation. If we deny the necessity of God's word for our salvation, then we could find God through many means and scripture alone would not be sufficient. If the word did not present a unified message centered upon Jesus Christ, the only mediator, it could not be enough for we would, um, for, for we need the savior. If the Bible were not efficacious by the spirit's grace for conversion and sanctification, then the church would require some supplement to fulfill its mission. Finally, if the Holy Scriptures were not true and without error in all that they declare, then they could not be a sufficient rule for our faith and obedience, and we would need some means of sifting the wheat from the chaff in them. The fact that the Bible is the written Word of God, supremely authoritative and self-authenticating, clear in its doctrines, necessary for the church's salvation and life, unified in its testimony to Christ, efficacious by the Spirit's work, and unfailingly true in all that it declares implies that the Bible is uniquely sufficient as God's special revelation to us today. However, while the sufficiency of Scripture flows out of these other properties, it is a distinct doctrine in itself that we must teach and uphold lest the church build with straw and wood instead of the imperishable gold and silver of divine truth. The doctrine of the sufficiency of the Holy Scriptures declares that everything necessary for saving faith and spiritual life is taught in the Bible. There is no warrant or need for the church to base its doctrine or direction uh, or directives on anything else, be it church tradition, the opinions of men, or the wisdom of this world. And to that, I say, amen. 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 That is a good statement there. So. Amen. So, okay, well, let's move here and let's just move to our final subject. We've got a couple of chapters on continuationism. And basically what is continuationism? It is uh, basically the idea that God continues to speak today outside of his word, that we have the word of God, but God still continues to speak to believers today outside of that. So instead of us just sort of walking through it step by step, uh, let me just ask you all, what, what are your main takeaways uh, from this? And let's just start, first of all, with this question. Does God do this? Does God speak today to individuals apart from his word? And if he doesn't, why doesn't he? Well, I, th I, I think that uh, 
what I take from this, and there's a lot there. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean, he does it. He does a really good job. I think of 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 uh, defining the issues there and talking about it in his replies. I think overall are satisfying. Some of some of which I, I wish he probably played out a little bit more. Um, but I think I think in essence, what I'm getting from him. And the reason why he puts this here, I think, in, in this prolegomena in terms of God's revelation is indeed most important because, again, I think, I think, as he says, we basically are confusing the categories of applied revelation, which involves uh, uh, sanctification, effectual calling, that kind of thing. Uh, and in terms of this need, which is driven in many cases by the culture, uh, of the importance of thinking that God speaks to me individually, that he directs to me individually, that, yeah, he may do it through my daily Bible reading, or he may be my my daily reading from morning and evening or daily bread or something like that. Uh, but uh, but that uh, he, he speaks to me. And there are people in my church that actually speak to me. Uh, apart from apart from the revelation that's there now what um uh, in the scripture that is now the B, the point that beaky makes and where it becomes muddy is he cites sam storm uh, sam storms and uh uh wayne grudem uh, men whom we greatly admire sam storms his early works had been profound influence on me um but uh, he he cites them and somehow this need really uh, to keep the office of prophecy uh, in the sense that it was used in a signs and wonders way in the New Testament, uh, to keep that for the modern day, uh, and to have people who have a gift of prophecy in the sense that they can speak things for God, uh, not on the, they are honest enough to say, not on the level of scripture, but they're able to speak in, uh, as we would sometimes say, speak into my life in such a way where they can direct me in a way they cut the, what I got from it. And you guys can, can, uh, I'm sure you, you have another take on this and, and probably a better one, uh, but they can cut through, you know, uh, the, they can shortcut the process of normal sanctification, which Beaky says again, 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 study word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, God directs you by the word. The same spirit that inspires a word uh, interprets a word and sanctifies it. He's a spirit. He's a spirit of holiness. He says there's hard work to be done here in your personal Bible study, 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 do inductive studies or whatever. Don't neglect the means, the means of grace uh, in the church. Sit under the word of God where it's faithfully preached. Then is the passage you so well read a while ago. Pray for your pastor because Mm. he's the primary means of grace that God uses you. Uses to teach the word to you and all these things here, not that you shouldn't seek advice. It's wise to seek counsel. Uh, Proverbs again and again, makes this the point, but again, there's this need. I don't know why they feel the need actually to take that prophet or to take that new Testament, uh, or the, uh, uh, the new Testament prophet or the one in first century, uh, prophet in that sense. And to, take part of the properties of that and bring it over into the modern day and yeah. to say that that's still necessary, uh, that in, that in ordinary cases, uh, and, and I'll quit with this. I, I remember in college, uh, I was involved with a church. I w- was 
at that time I was not reformed. I really wasn't introduced to Calvinism until probably my sophomore year in college. But at that time, there was a guy uh, who claimed he had a, a gift of prophecy. Uh, and again, you know where this is going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, no, basically his, his gift of prophecy was to go around and he, I remember he visited the college, he visited the cafeteria. And of course this, this was a seventies. I mean, Mike was in college in the seventies as well. He knows, I mean, it was a weird time. People dressed weird. Your hair got a little long. Of course, that wasn't the case with Mike because he was in, he was in ROTC, I'm sure. But yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, but again, the rest of us sometimes, you know, we were a little, we were a little short in, in, in getting haircuts sometimes. Uh, so he would come around and say, cut that hair, boy. <laughs> and why well, you got that beard? What you trying to hide? <laughs> in other words, he was speaking things like that. And again, I mean, we were taught actually that, that the things he was saying here are things that God is saying to us. And so it seemed strange at the time, but when I got into reformed theology, it became, it became even less. Uh, I mean, even more, even more so strange when you understand the whole complement of scripture in that. So that's what I get out of it is basically, uh, he goes along and faithfully says these, these guys, okay, they leave the office of apostle alone. The guys that we trust, they say, you know, no, I that that's a new that's a new testament office i mean that's not replicated uh you may see people acting like apostles or whatever there's no office of apostle anymore and the officer prophets that prophet however had enough elasticity in that day to where we can bring it over and we can find it useful um again i don't know how guys how guys like storm and, and storms and uh and uh, gruden can do that but and van you did this when you were trying to uh years ago when you're bringing the church when we were over at Hudgens, bringing us through uh, this whole thing on continuationism and uh, this, the gifts for today. And you talked about Grudem uh, and mm-hmm. this idea of prophecy at that time. Uh, and, and as I recall, you struggled with it as much as I'm struggling with it right now. Uh, you, you had a descriptive analysis of it, but in terms of really explaining why it is, why we need that, uh, I think ultimately, if I remember, you scratched your head kind of like I do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean they would uh they would say it's just it's, it's more, more directed direct. to specific situations yeah. right you know, in life and and I think there's a lot of issues with it. I mean, for one thing, there's the issue of of the nature of revelation. Right. If it's revelation from God, how can it not be inerrant? How can it not be infallible? How can it not be sufficient? And really, if God is continuing to give revelation why could we not add it to the word of God? Because revelation is revelation is revelation, whether it was given to Jeremiah or Isaiah or Paul or Peter, it, it it's all the same. Now, again, I mean, we, we know this and we've seen Beaky say, this is all revelation God given contained in scripture. No, God has given more revelation. As a matter of fact, it talks about Jesus said, if all the things were written about him, you know, the, the books of the world cannot contain it. So, so all the revelation that was given in, in those, um, first century churches, you know, every Lord's day, as they had God revealing the truth of his word to them, and they were being built up on truths like we are, except they didn't have a completed word of God. We do, uh, you know, all of that is not contained in scripture, what those prophets were receiving in those churches. And so, uh, and so for them not to have that issue of 
well, you know, when Wayne Grudem gives a prophecy, why can't we include that in the word of God? They have to say, well, this is not the same nature. This is a lesser prophecy and people can get it wrong because, you know, people are fallible, which to me, that seems sort of inconsistent. But, uh, but what yeah. I'm, what I'm going to do though, is, uh, is for you all who are hearing this, uh, whenever I, I send this out through email and then put it on our Facebook page, I'll put a link, uh, to a debate between Wayne Grudem and Ian Hamilton. It is a masterful debate on this, this specific topic. And I think Ian Hamilton really does really well in just asking Wayne Grudem these questions that we would have. And, and, and basically, um, sort of, I think just kind of in a sense, putting him against the wall because, you know, some of the things he brings out is that, okay, if, uh, if God is giving revelation, but it does not contradict the word of God and basically validates and says what's in the word of God, then why do we need the new revelation? Exactly. That's the ultimate question. Yeah. yeah. But then if it is contradicting the word of God and it's not inerrant yeah. and it's not infallible, then again, why do we need the revelation? So yeah, yeah. Uh, by, ne by definition, if we're going to continue to use that, that term, uh, then it has to be infallible. Yeah. <laughs> it can't, it can't fail. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he, he does a great job and, and Ian Hamilton, I mean, the Lord has just used him in, in so many ways. First of all, he's got one up on Wayne Grudem cause he's British. So he's got the accent going for him oh, already. Yeah. Always. So, uh, yeah, that, yeah. Puts him, that puts him like uh, 20 feet ahead already. Yeah. So yeah. it's interesting, you know, and, and again, like, like Marvin said, uh, you know, Wayne Grudem has done a lot of good for the church and, exactly. and a lot of things that Amen. he's written, I've been edified with, but, but in that debate, you know, you have Wayne, he's got this big, uh, three ring binder full of notes sitting there and you've got Ian Hamilton and he's just got his legs crossed and he's, he's sort of sitting on his hands like this and he's just firing off from, you know, the top of his head. So yeah. clearly uh, just, just a man who's saturated with the word of God. And it's always encouraging to see someone do that. And, it, and it's not a, a debate debate. It's more like a, a friendly moderated conversation yeah. between the two. And they, uh, and again, brothers in Christ and yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, very ironic. They have an appreciation very, for each other. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. So Mike, let me toss it over to you, Mike, out of this whole last section, we're talking about continuationism. We're talking about God speaking today. Does God speak? What, what are some of the things that really stood out to you? Uh, well, some of the things that stood out to me and, and I, and then what, uh, what I observed last night when Kathleen and I are watching uh, the news, so we, we kind of take it and we're watching it. And, and I was referring back to what I learned from the reading of, uh, of, of what we're talking about today. But uh, I think thing to be careful about what, what this said to message to me is like the individuals who said that, that God continues to, to reveal to them. Um, to me, we, it, it puts them in a, we need to be careful because the, the key thing is going back to the word of God. What they're saying does is it in the Word of God, and you know, and I guess I come down on the side that I, I think that um, that that probably along the lines of the the, the cessation um, that what's revealed in the Bible is all is, is all that is all that we we, we need, uh, and as far as God talking to us, God does speak to us but he reveals nothing to us new that's not in his word uh, that's that's the message i got here and that's when i read 
And to me, a dangerous sign is when someone reads the scripture and says, well, what this says to me, well, no, it's what is the truth contained in the Bible and what is the practical application to your life? And when Marvin was talking about the, the you know, people who claim to be prophets or apostles and they want to carry that title, to me, the, the message in this reading and studying is there's a danger in that, too, of making those individuals, uh, pointing them as like a mini God or a mini Amen. authority and they right. over and then they tend to override the church and, and they they become the church. And, and that's a danger. Uh, again, it goes back to the to the word of God, uh, not what one individual says. And I guess the mm-hmm. practical application. And I, uh, again, just from what I saw last night, I, I, we can't see the heart of an individual. But mm-hmm. uh, on uh, t- uh, Tucker Carson tonight, we, we're looking at previous tape versions that we tape. He was interviewing, um, oh, he changed his name to Ye or Yay, I can't remember. But oh, he was Kanye West? Yes. Yeah, calls him Ye West now is what he calls him. Yeah, Ye West. I, I haven't seen that, but I want to see that. But what, what really caught my attention when I was watching part two, and I told Kathleen, turn it off. He's, he claimed that God is using him and God is, is cha- channeling messages from God, challenging ch- Turn it off. I said, "That's a that, no. That is yeah. that is not that is not uh, that is not biblically uh, uh, justified or, or biblical truth." <laughs> hey, Mike, can can you just repeat that again? What he was saying? Because yeah, your, your, your sound cut, cut out. out. Yeah, it's cut out he, for me too. Uh, probably because I pounded on my desk. Um, he, <laughs> preach brother preach yeah what he said was that god he was a channel that god was using he, he himself is the channel of communication from god and he was delivering uh, a message and what he was doing as a channel of uh, communication from god that's what i got out of the interview that was going on on part two of his interview with tucker carson and i just said kathleen that's not that's a warning sign i mean yeah uh well, and I think as a practical thing, Mike, I agree with you completely. Uh, why would I want to trust a guy who married Kim Kardashian? <laughs> I mean, I, I mean yeah. that, that 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 throws shade on him automatically. Yeah, and, and, and I just, uh, but but again, uh, I, I agree. But I go going back. Uh, I think uh, me personally, from reading, and again, I'm I'm always open uh, to. Um, uh, other viewpoints and, and, you know, and I could be wrong. And I, as I grow, I may change my, how I see things, but in these last two chapters, I don't think special revelation continues today. I think the special revelation that's already been, that's contained in the Bible is, is it. And, I, and again, Van, I agree with what you said. There, there, are, uh, there's other revelation that, that is, you know, outside that that's not, that we don't have captured in the word of God but it's still out there because of the vastness of who, who God and who Christ was. And, you know, we, our minds probably would not even be able to handle all that vast uh, uh, revelation. But the fact is we have what we need and we need to be cautious as believers, as far as uh, with individuals saying they, they, uh, they have all these uh, God speaks to them through visions and dreams and all this stuff. It's, I guess it goes back to a, a personal, we're looking at a, individuals when they talk about like dreams or what God, how he uses them. As long as that personal 
you know, what that, what they said, it's, it's their personal experience. And is that personal experience, how does that personal experience, when you go back to God's truth, God's word, how, how is that, how is that, um, how does the Bible, what does the Bible say about that experience they, they, they had? I think he, he went into a discussion on that as well. And, and, and bottom line is that personal experience, it's, it can't be contrary to God's word. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and then I'll just say this too, uh, just to give a, you know, that was a good warning that you gave Mike and just to give, uh, an illustration of that, there is, uh, someone that we knew now, I can't remember the names. If, if, if you guys want the names and the details of the story, uh, go ask April, she can tell you, but, uh, April, you know, came out of uh, a charismatic church and a lot of her family is still charismatic Pentecostal. And there was a, a revival that was taking place. This was years ago. And, um, there was a young girl there who's very, very smart, very, very bright Pentecostal girl. And, uh, from what I understand, she had a lot of scholarships to go to college and, and things like that. And just uh, academic scholarships. So she, she really had a lot of opportunities laid out before her. Well, they, as they often do, you know, Pentecostals have, you know, revival after revival after revival. So they had a revival preacher who was there and he prophesied over her, you know, as they call it. And, uh, and he basically said that in, in so many words, I don't remember the exact thing, but said that, you know, God has reserved uh, a, a preacher for you. So what you need to do is you need to tarry. You need to wait on the Lord here in Citronelle, which is where we're from one horse town. So in other words, don't go off to, to, to college. Don't go off to university, uh, wait here. And you are going to be a wife of a, of a preacher and you're going to support him as he goes out and does the work of God and, 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 and preaches God's word. And just, you know, just, just made it real big. And that convinced her because God said so convinced her to basically give up all of these opportunities. And, and the last I heard, which was years ago, I mean, she was still in Citronelle unmarried. Uh, you know, the, the, the prophecy about the preacher never came and I'm sure the revival guy is just probably still doing the same thing, yeah. you know? So yeah. what about the whole thing of, if a prophecy doesn't come true, well, in yeah. the old Testament, you stoned them, you know? Right. So, but, but the, that's the thing for, for those who do believe no that God thing. is giving continuing revelation, uh, you can't get any higher than, well, God told me, I mean, that trumps everything. I mean, Mike Thompson, you think you got your life set before you, you think you're, you're going to do this and all. I come to you and say, Mike, God told me that what you're supposed to do is dot, dot, dot. Well, I just went above everything that you're, you know, sure. You might be praying. You might be seeking the will of God. You may be doing all these things, but God told me that you're supposed to. And now, now I have your conscience bound. Are you, are, if, if you truly believe this, are you going to do the will of God? Are you going to walk in obedience to God? Because God told me this is what you're to do. And that is the issue. I think that's a big practical issue that we see with uh, churches and groups, whether that they're all the way out to one side, Pentecostal, or those like Sam Storms and Wayne Grudem and, and uh, D.A. Carson. I mean, we can name a lot, John Piper, who are, who are in the, the reform camp but who would be known as continuationists that God does from time to time do this, that he gives prophecy. 
concerning specific situations. So I think there's an inherent danger with that. Well, guys, I'll toss it to you. Our time is running out, but any parting shots uh, before uh, before we get off of here? I do have one. I, I cut the I cut the camera off and went and got my book. Jason Lyle, The Physics of Einstein. Mm. Wonder, yeah. Only you, Doctor Jones, would be reading a book like that. Well, no, no. <laughs> I'm sure it's a page turner. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you know what you're looking for, it is a page turner. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Mike, that's it. That's all I got. Well, I, I guess I the my parting parting words would be um, how he ends the the last chapter. Uh, Finding God's wisdom requires the hard work of listening to the preached word, praying, reading, studying, thinking, obeying, suffering, and talking with other believers while depending on the There is no shortcut to wisdom through direct revelation. Wisdom must come by constant engagement with God's word. Mm. Amen. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Well, we uh, will sign off. And Marvin, I'll ask you if you would to close us in prayer. But before we do it, uh, our next regularly scheduled time that we would be putting one of these out would be on the 24th. But I'm going to be gone. I'm going to be in good old Bama down south. So we are looking at the 14th, November the 14th. So for those of you who are listening, uh, we're going to be, Lord willing, uh, doing our next podcast that morning, uh, Monday morning, November the 14th. And uh, we will continue on with our uh, reading. Uh, again, We, if we were going to do it on the 24th, which is our normally scheduled time in October, we would have had chapters 25 through 27. But since we're skipping that time when we get together on the 14th of November, uh, we will do chapters 25 to 30 uh, again, Lord willing uh, concerning that. So hope to see y'all there again during this time. And we'll have a lot of reading to get under our belt between now and then. So uh, Marvin brother, I'll toss it to you. Anything else you want to say and then close us with a word of prayer. No, um, just praise Lord. Father, we, we thank you this morning for this time together. Um, even though we've got a lot of reading and uh, we didn't get down into it as much as we wanted to, Father, we pray that what we've done is helpful. Uh, it's um, not true in the sense that Scripture is, uh, and nor do we claim that, nor would we want to claim that. But, Father, indeed, uh, we do pray. Uh, that not only we, but also our church as well, uh, Father, would be about about would be about the the difficult but the highly rewarding task of searching the scriptures daily to see if these mm-hmm. things be so. Uh, it is the highest endeavor into which we can gain. And, and Father, in in aid of that, I just thank you for Van. I thank you for his pulpit ministry and Lord, as he teaches and preaches to the people. I pray that. You would empower him, Father. Give him, as he uh, as he studies, give him wisdom and insight uh, and discernment, Father, in the things that he lays before us to to aid us uh, to aid us in this and to uh, prepare us for the works of the ministry. Uh, Father, what a what a wonderful uh, opportunity it is to be called your children and to have so many means that you've given to us. Um, uh, by the Holy Spirit and by those who are gifted, Father, in, in order to in order to build us up as a body uh, in our deficiencies, uh, to come along and to aid us uh, 
uh, where we're weak in our understanding to help us, where we're weak in our physical status or in any other place to have people to come in the, and by the, by the strength, which you supply as Peter says, uh, and to minister it to us, uh, in the body of Christ and by Christ himself in his stead as an ambassador for him, uh, to bring glory and honor to his church and to continue, uh, to show his love to his bride. Father, leading guys today, we pray as we commit the rest of the day to you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Will you guys hang on a second and we'll say bye to all those who are listening to us and uh, may the Lord uh, richly bless you.